If you have a Bible with you, please turn to Isaiah chapter 7, it's page 572 if you are using the Bible in the pew. As we draw near to Christmas in this Advent season, we will be looking at prophetic titles for Jesus. Pastor Jason introduced that this morning. Tonight we will be looking at Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 7, verse 14. Before we do so, do you pray with me? Father, as we turn now to your word, as we just heard Quadro attest to the power of your word, would you make yourself known to us? Would you reveal yourself to us as you did to Mary, as you did to Joseph, as you did to the shepherds, as you have done to generation upon generation upon generation of your people that we might know you, that we might love you, we might praise you. We need your help for that. Would you work through your word in our hearts tonight? In Christ's name we pray, amen. Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is a short, likely familiar verse. There is a lot packed into it, but our main focus is going to be tonight on that last word, Emmanuel. If you look down in the footnotes of your Bible, you will see that that is translated for us, God is with us. Matthew will define it later as God is with us in his text. Here in Isaiah, God promises a sign of a boy born to a virgin who will be known as Emmanuel. He shall be called God with us. Do you ever wonder where God is or what he is doing? Do you find yourself questioning maybe not so much God's presence or existence, but his presence in your life, perhaps questioning whether he sees what you are going through or maybe whether he cares? As we think through God with us tonight, my hope is that God will speak to some of these questions. We're going to consider Emmanuel in three stages. First, we will look at God with us throughout the history of the Old Testament. Then God with us promised here in Isaiah. And finally, the arrival of God with us in the New Testament. The history, the promise, and the arrival of God with us. First, what has God's withness? I don't know if that's a word. All week I've really wanted it to be a word. I'm not going to use it very often, but it may slip out occasionally. God's withness, what has that looked like throughout history? Even before we do that, I want us to think for a minute, how do we understand God with us? With is a little preposition we probably don't think about very much. It's important for us to define it in this context because in one sense, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere, so you can't hide or escape from God. He is always with everyone, everywhere. don't really need a promise for that. Um, But that's not really what the Scriptures mean when they talk about God being with someone. It's not simply a matter of location or sharing the same space. 
It means that he is for them, that he is on their side, concerned with their interests. To consider the history of God with us in this sense, we need to go back to the beginning. God created everything out of nothing, and at the end of the second chapter of all of the Bible, things are good. They're very good. They're perfect. The creation narrative ends with Adam and Eve naked and not ashamed. I often hear this reference in relation to Adam and Eve not being ashamed before each other. I think tonight we need to consider that they were not ashamed before God. Because a few verses later, all of that changes. After Adam and Eve have sinned, they hear God coming and they hide. Why do they hide? Adam explains in Genesis 3 that he heard God coming and he was afraid. He was afraid because he was naked. The text does not say that they hid from each other, but that they hid from God. They had been vulnerable and naked before God in chapter 2, but their trust that he was for them, that he was with them, meant that they were unashamed. They felt secure and safe before him, even in their nakedness and vulnerability. But once sin entered the picture, things are different. Now they are afraid. They are not confident in God's stance toward them, nor should they be. Adam, in confessing his fear, understood that he was now in rebellion against God and in a broken relationship with his Creator. This reality was further solidified for them when Adam and Eve were removed from the garden paradise in which they had enjoyed the pleasure and the safety of being with God. This is the reality that every human being after these first two has been born into a fractured relationship with God. It would be impossible to overstate what was lost in that moment when our first parents partook of the forbidden fruit. God was with his people without question and without fail until suddenly he wasn't. The default relationship between God and humanity was no longer one in which he was for them, but one of enmity and conflict. Humanity is without hope, powerless to act on our own behalf to rectify the situation. Amazingly, as most of you know, God chose to intervene and to act on behalf of his rebellious creatures, his enemies, to bring about reconciliation almost immediately In Genesis 3, God gave a promise that the curse of sin and death would be undone, promising that there would come from the line of humanity one who would bring about the defeat of sin and death. And throughout the history of the Old Testament, God continued to make promises and to give glimpses of restoring a right relationship with his people, especially in a series of covenants with Noah and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob throughout Genesis, with Moses in Exodus and David in 2 Samuel. He established a dwelling place among his people in the tabernacle and then eventually in a temple building. We could trace these promises over and over and over again throughout Scripture. And yet, we could also trace over and over and over again the result of sin. The people whom God revealed himself to, spoke to, acted on behalf of, they rebel 
time and time again. They repent and they return only to rebel and reject Him another time. Perhaps this pattern is nowhere better illustrated than in the book of Judges, which is a cycle of calling out to God, deliverance by Him, drifting away, defeat, and then repeat in a descending cycle. And this is the situation that we find when we get to Isaiah chapter 7. Man has been separated from God through sin, and yet God has initiated and promised to be with His people. When they trust those promises, they flourish, and they overcome opposition. When they turn from Him, they flounder, and they are overcome. That is the history of God being with His people. He is with them, even though they go back and forth. Brings us to this promise here in Isaiah 7 of Emmanuel. The situation in Isaiah 7 involves a number of nations. I'll try to describe it without being too confusing. There's Judah and Israel. They were one nation 200 years before this, and then they had divided. Uh, and then there's Assyria and Syria, which not to be confused with each other. You can read more in 2 Kings 16 or 2 Chronicles 28, but Assyria is the big superpower and threat in the region. And Israel and Syria have combined forces to try to fend off Assyria. They want Judah to join them, uh, but Judah isn't so sure. Israel and Syria have already attacked Judah once. They killed 120,000 men in one day. They carried off 200,000 men, women, and children as prisoners before God made Israel return them to Judah. And now these two nations are threatening to attack again with a plan to put someone else on the throne who will join them against Assyria. Ahaz is the king of Judah. Uh, to put it mildly, Ahaz is not a good king. Second Chronicles has this to say, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done, but he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even made metal images for the Baals, and he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and burned his sons as an offering. So Ahaz does not fear God. He sacrifices his own children, and he finds himself threatened by an enemy that has already once defeated him. In the midst of this, God sent Isaiah to go talk to Ahaz, to remind him to trust in God. But Ahaz didn't need that. He already had a plan. He was going to reach out to Assyria. He was essentially going to surrender to them in exchange for help against Israel and Syria. The reality is Ahaz should have known better. He ruled over Judah, who had the promises of God through the law and the prophets. He was part of the line of David, to whom God had promised an everlasting kingdom. He knew the stories. He knew the history. His father and his son are both recounted as having done what is right in the eyes of the Lord. But Ahaz does not. He places his trust in Assyria instead of God. Through Isaiah, God comes to Ahaz and gives him another chance to turn and to trust God. He warns him in verse 9 of chapter 7, 
If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And he even goes so far as to offer to prove himself and his power and his trustworthiness to Ahaz by giving him a sign. He tells Ahaz, you name the sign anything and I will do it to prove who I am. Now, signs are a little tricky in the history of the Scriptures. In Deuteronomy, God told His people not to test Him by demanding a sign, and yet often God confirms His presence with a visible sign in dreams to people like Abraham and Jacob, the pillar of fire and cloud leading the people through the wilderness, the burning bush or staff of Moses, and the glory cloud which descended on the temple. So there's, there's kind of this, this tension about signs, uh, and yet, it's clear in this instance, although Ahaz sounds pious in not testing God, in reality, he is not trusting God. God has offered him what he would ask, and he chooses not to ask. He rejects an offer from God because he already has a plan. The reality is, there is not a sign that God could give him which would change his mind. God tells him that he is a fool in no uncertain terms through the rest of Isaiah 7. He is looking through the eyes of flesh and not through the eyes of faith. God declares to him that the nations that he is so afraid of will be wiped off the face of the earth in the matter of a few decades. But God will need to be reckoned with for much longer than that. God tells Ahaz in the the verse that we read, that he is going to give him a sign anyway. Ahaz wouldn't ask for a sign, but God says, I'm going to give you one anyway, a miraculous supernatural sign. A son will be born of a virgin, and this son will be known as God with us. Unfortunately for Ahaz, the sign which could have been used to confirm God as the trustworthy helper to Judah will become a sign against Ahaz. You were told, and you did not listen. There's a fair amount of debate surrounding this small verse and the fulfillment of the prophecy, or of this promise. Uh, often in prophecy, there is an immediate fulfillment and a future fulfillment. There are opinions about whether that is true of this promise or not. Some would argue that maybe Isaiah's son in 7.3 Shir Jashub, or an 8-3 Mahir Shalal Hashbaz, uh, or maybe even Hezekiah, Ahaz's own son, maybe one of these three children is a fulfillment of this prophecy in the immediacy. Uh, there's good reasons for each of these views and problems with each. But what was remarkable in reading through that it, is that no one disagrees, partially because Matthew helps us, but it is crystal clear that there is a future promise and a future fulfillment. Eventually, Assyria will conquer Israel. The Babylonians will come along and conquer Judah. Lasts a little bit longer. The Persians will take over, and finally the Romans. God's promises must seem very distant, but God has not forgotten. Over 700 years and four empires after this sign is promised, we come to the New Testament and to the arrival of Emmanuel. It is a very familiar story in Matthew. Mary becomes pregnant 
And in Matthew chapter 1, an angel appears to Joseph to tell him what is going on. This is what he says in verses 20 through 23. As Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The angel announces to Joseph, this is what Isaiah was talking about. The time has come, the sign is here. A virgin is carrying a baby who will be known as Emmanuel, which means God with us. It is happening God has given promise after promise after promise after promise in the Scriptures, and now we have a person, a baby, the promise in the flesh. And it turns out that the promised child, God with us, is God Himself, God with us in the flesh. And He has come to save His people from their sins, to reverse the curse from the garden God with us, God, creator, holy, almighty. This morning, Pastor Jason said that his titles as he goes through Isaiah 9 will be interconnected, and I would argue they're going to be interconnected with Emmanuel. As you hear him preach on Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace in the coming weeks, know that it is this God who is with us. He is with you. He's with us. He's with us in all sorrow, joy, pleasure, temptation. He's present, walking through the full range of human experience. He knows what you're going through. And He is with us, reconciling man and God through His perfect life and sacrificial, saving death. God with us. We do need to take a minute to consider that last word. Who is the us? Is God with everyone? God did not make the same promise to the Assyrians that he made to the Israelites. God did not make the same promise to Ishmael that he made to Isaac. The reality is that this us is not everyone. See this again in Luke 2 in the birth narrative when the angel announces to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. In one sense, this announcement is for everyone. We want all to hear. But then the angels go on to say, peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. The reality of this promise is not experienced by everyone. It's announced to everyone. All should hear it. But the reality is God is with us is only for those who are God's people. So as you sit here tonight, there are two ways this can go. The sign will either confirm and strengthen your faith and trust in God, or it will cry out against you. 
If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, then you remain alienated from God. He is not with you. You are opposed to him. The sign of the birth of Jesus will be a sign of rebuke. You saw it. You knew about it. You heard about it. You would not listen. Ahaz didn't need God. He put his trust in the Assyrians. It is not a temptation for most of us, but maybe you put your trust in America or in your virtue or your morality or your own wisdom or the affirmation of society or your career or any of a thousand other things. It was folly for Ahaz and it is folly for you. These things are all fleeting and they cannot save. If you do not stand in faith in God, you will not stand at all. Good news is that it is not too late. You can be reconciled. You can turn to this baby. You can receive the forgiveness of sin and you can be reconciled to God and you can join his people. And Christian, for those who are his people, God has given you a sign that speaks through the ages. Look to the one born of the virgin who is God with us. There is no time stamp on God with us, which I find incredibly encouraging. It is not that God will be with you or that he was with you, but God with you, past, present, and future. God is with you, always has been, always will be. Even consider the history of Israel, where God's presence seems to ebb and flow. He'll be silent for a while. The reality is he never turned away completely. He always protected the promise, even when it appeared he had withdrawn. Read backwards, it is clear. God is always for his people. The same is true for you, Christian. God is always for his people, leading, protecting, providing, preserving. When you enter God's family through faith, you can look back and you can see that he has been with you every step of the way, leading and bringing you to himself. Not only has God always been with you, he is with us today. He is with you as you fight temptation and sin. He is with you as you navigate the ups and downs of your daily life, wherever you find yourself, the holy, just, loving, merciful God of the universe is with you. And the scriptures are clear. If God is for us, who can be against us? If you're not sure, if you find that hard to believe, look at the sign. He has given us a sign to remember, the one who was born. God is with us past, God is with us present, but God will also be with us future. The Gospel of Matthew announces the birth of Jesus, God with us in chapter 1, and it concludes with Jesus proclaiming to his followers that he will be with them to the very end of the age. Jesus is God with us, and his birth, death, and resurrection secure that reality for God's people for all time, for the rest of your life and for all of eternity. We read in Revelation 21 that in glory, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
God will be with us forever. So when you're tempted to wonder, where is God? Am I alone? Have I been forgotten? Is my sin too much? Let the birth of Jesus be a flashing neon sign for you that God is with you. May it remind you of the truth of Romans 8, where Paul says, Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is true of you, Christian. The past few Thursdays, we have had some students over to sing some carols and do an Advent reading and just think about Jesus a little bit in the midst of a frantic end of a semester. And this past week, we read something from Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he ended it this way. What God did when he sent his son into the world is the absolute guarantee that he will do everything he has ever promised to do. Look at it in a personal sense. Whatever your state or condition may be, whatever may happen to you, he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, and he will not. He has said so, and we have absolute proof that he fulfills his promises. He does not always do it immediately in the way that we think. No, no, but he does it, and he will never fail to do it. I want to encourage you this Christmas, when you think of Jesus being born, when you think of the baby in the manger, when you sing the familiar songs, know that this is a sign for you that God is with you. He always has been, He always will be, and He is today. Look to Him, trust in Him, seek after Him, be encouraged, be strengthened, be joy-filled, be comforted. Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us. Let's pray. Father, we are so prone to see with the eyes of flesh and to see the things that are happening around us and to tremble. Would you give us eyes of faith that we could see that which you have done, that which is more sure than anything on earth, that through your Son, Christ, you are with us. Would you draw our hearts and our minds to you? Would you encourage and strengthen us in our faith that we might stand firm because we stand in you? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.